Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. This is Dr. Simon. My show, as always, is called The Stories We Live By. And today I want to uh, do a story about psychotherapy, identity, and identity politics. And I want to preface the show with something uh, that has nothing to do with the topic. Uh, that is the horror that is now going on in Texas. Um, I'm particularly sensitive to uh, people's houses being flooded. Um, Not that I wouldn't have sympathy, and I think everybody must have enormous sympathy when you watch these individuals walking through the streets, uh, trying to float little boats with their children and their dogs and whatever possessions they could get at and going nowhere. Um, uh, But I had a flood in my house in October, Uh, a dishwasher, a a pipe at the back of my dishwasher sprang a leak and we didn't know it was happening. So it probably was weeks, maybe even a month before we saw mold growing uh, uh, from the uh, woodwork, uh, in our house, um, and we didn't lose the house, but it took four months for the walls to be cut, uh, for furniture to be uh, displaced, uh, for uh, mold restoration, mold uh, to be taken out of the house, and then for us to purchase a new kitchen, um, uh, be painted, everything get installed. And I had um, wonderful people working for me, uh, a terrific gentleman who took over as a uh, a contractor, and he took over the entire job. So he he lifted that off my wife and I, our shoulders. Uh, And it took four months to be restored. And what I learned in that four months is that your life is not your own. Uh, And while... We didn't get sick, and a lot of the people in Dallas are going to get sick, uh, not merely from being in that water, uh, but the stress is enormous, terrible, terrible stress. There's going to be upticks of heart disease, uh, immune problems, all the crap that happens when a person is in prolonged stress. Um, one of the things that really upset me today was a picture of, I think the town is Rockport, 11,000 people. And there's no town, completely submerged. And by the time it, the waters go back, there's going to be very little that has to be uh, salvaged. So uh, my heart goes out to uh, all <laughs> my fellow Americans who live in Texas. Um, I'm going to wait for... Uh, uh, legitimate charities to uh, make themselves known uh, and start giving as much money as I can for these individuals who, through no fault of their own, have had their life uh, uh, upended. Um, I don't want to get into the topic of global warming, but I feel compulsed to do it. Um, this storm is being called historic unprecedented, apocalyptic. Uh, When I was a little boy, I used to enjoy the story of uh, Noah and the ark. Um, This is 
Some, nothing like this has actually happened before. Uh, a couple of years ago, there was a storm that went up the East Coast and flooded New York and the Jersey Shore and the Rockaways in New York and Long Beach, where I used to live. Uh, homes were lost. Hundreds and hundreds of cars were destroyed. Uh, this is becoming, uh, and they call these the storm of the century, the unprecedented. They're happening more and more. And there's no doubt in my mind that the changes in our environment uh, are going to make this more and more common. And none of us are actually going to really be safe. And uh, I hope this is going to be a wake-up call for those who deny that there's really anything that uh, needs to be done. Uh, most of the world and many of our states are going it alone to uh, see what can be done to stop carbon emissions before it becomes, uh, they become so critical uh, that life on the planet uh, can be uh, a threat. So let me get back to my story today about psychotherapy. And psychotherapy is spelled P-S-Y-C-H-O and then in quotation marks, therapy. And I've done a number of shows on that. And so folks who follow me know that I feel uh, strongly that there's no such thing as mental illness, that all the psychological problems uh, that we suffer, unless they can be demonstrated empirically with tests that uh, they don't come from anything uh, organic, that is something wrong in the brain or the nervous system that can be demonstrated. And therefore, I use the word, and since therefore, according to my hero, Thomas Zoss, they are metaphorical illnesses. And so what I do, I call psychotherapy, but they're metaphorical therapies. And I want to talk about them, particularly in relation to identity and identity politics, because uh, both the left and the right are practicing identity politics. And last week I did a show, with the first half of which I practiced identity politics. And I listened to what I said last week because I was tremendously upset when Nazis roamed the streets and marched in Charlottesville singing and chanting, the Jews will not replace us. Um, they hate everybody. But I went into that. And I kept putting up shows and knocking them down and not doing them because what I was ending up doing was being a kind of a, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for, a scold for those Jews who uh, voted for Trump, who support uh, what I feel is the racist end of the Republican Party, um, and still don't change their mind. And that's not what I want to do. That's not what I want to do. And I was upset with myself that I did it. And then a rather articulate, intelligent young man came on and I signed him on. And the next thing I know, we're having a debate upon who's worse, Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. Um, I don't do that anymore. To me, that is a pointless waste of time. Because what happens is, and I've seen this hundreds of times, Somebody will say something about Trump, and the response is from somebody who likes uh, uh, 
Trump. Hillary was bad or just as bad or worse. And that person now gets upset and angry and says no. And the next thing you know, they're arguing who's the worst, Trump or Hillary Clinton. It's pointless. It doesn't go anywhere. And so when I listen to my show and I listen to the second half in which I allowed this young man uh, to, uh, uh, I allowed him, I am responsible for going into this pointless debate. I lost the theme of my show. So I took it down. That's why I took it down. I don't know if anybody saw it, but whoever saw it, that's the reason it no longer exists. I took it down. I took the tweets down to Twitter and uh, to uh, Facebook. It doesn't exist anymore. At least I certainly hope, because I am embarrassed by that show. So tonight, if anybody wants to call in, um, they want to call in perfectly well, but only if they want to ask questions or make comments about the topic, because I will not allow myself to go off topic. This is uh, my show, and I am always delighted uh, to have people come on and discuss uh, topics with me. Um, Maybe next week or the week after, I'll go on and create a Monday show just for people to call in if they wish and talk about anything they want to talk about. But tonight, I want to talk about psychotherapy in quotes, identity, and politics, because I think it's very, very important. And I hope I will not practice any politics of my own. So, 10 minutes, but I gave myself an hour tonight, and who the hell wants to listen for an hour? Uh, anyway, so my view of psychotherapy uh, is a, uh, that it's a wonderful process for people to engage in a discussion where they learn about themselves, and I include in this the therapist. I've never had an individual I've worked with over any length of time uh, where it was a successful therapy who didn't learn about themselves and make important life-changing decisions as a result of our interaction. But at the same time, much of what I've learned about people has come from the description of the lives and the difficulties that the people who came to me for help uh, told me about. Uh, psychotherapy is not something you do to somebody. It's something you do with somebody. It grows out of the rise of science, the rise of humanism, and the rise of a more moderate politics, the kind of politics that I only wish to be involved in and hope I'll be involved in for the rest of my life and my children's lives and my grandchildren's lives, which is democracy. The scientific revolution, the industrial revolution, the rise of the middle class, uh, the explosion of people who are now literate and read literature, uh, led to an ability for people, if they learn how, to have discussions in such a way that nobody loses their dignity, that they stick to facts, 
and do not attack one another uh, by vilifying or even physically trying to hurt somebody. And we are in such a terrible danger in this country because so much of our politics is identity politics, which I'll describe in a moment, in which people shout at each other, hate each other, uh, facts aren't important. Uh, I mean, I got a PhD in learning to be a researcher in psychology, and I've never done much research. However, it left me with a capacity to think critically. And I don't mean morally critically, but to be reflective about what I'm trying to do and say and be critical about the topics that I'm interested in. And over the years, people will say, how do I know what you do? Because this helps me. And I say, well, you learn to be your own therapist, to engage in a face-to-face discussion with people, which there's no shouting, there's no yelling, there's no cursing, in which you are simultaneously your individual person and not part of a mob and not part of a group primarily. And at the same time, you recognize that both you and the person you're talking to both bleed red, that there is simply a a human underpinning. And no matter how different you are, you're both completely different as individuals and completely the same as human beings. And that is the process that really helps. I see psychotherapy, and I wrote a book about this, as a type of education. A person comes, and what I try to help them see is that there are things about themselves that they deny, that part of a good education, and ultimately I try to get all the people I work with to go back to school, take courses, uh, English literature, good literature, read. Reading is critically important to me to get into the mind of another human being and share that, that uh, uh, time with the mind of another individual. They put themselves onto the pages, and we can join them. Um, critically important. Go back and get your degree, because learning is a critically important thing to do. When somebody lacks the, the ability to manage their life, very often it's because they have re- been raised in situations in which the, the main dictum was, who are you going to believe, me or your own eyes? It's authoritarian politics, and democracy is relatively new, not only historically, but it's not a, a, uh, an easy process to live by, and it's certainly not everywhere in the world. Much of the world is still uh, hierarchical, in which the leader says what's true, and very often what they say is true is good for them, not because it is true, but because it keeps them in power. 
It keeps them becoming more and more wealthy. And this kind of a process, this top-down, especially with little children who are really implicitly told, not explicitly, but implicitly, and they get the message, you will believe what we tell you no matter how your own sensibility says it's not so, or we will withdraw love from you. We will beat the crap out of you. Um, we'll kill you. And the struggle growing up in a family that transmits its values in an authoritarian way is very, very difficult. It takes an enormous amount of energy from the parents to deal ultimately with all the rebellions that take place in the child. But if they're successful, they crush the individuality and the spirit of the, of the youngster. Uh, I have lived through, and we've all lived through, teachers who really didn't care about our opinion uh, and would fail us, not because we didn't learn the material, but because we would disagree with their presentation of the material, or we would find topics uh, and information that counted the validity, the truth of what they were telling us. So when I discuss a relationship with somebody, I don't ask, who's the villain? Who's bad? Tell me the facts. What did you say? What did they say? And how did you feel when you said what you said? How do you feel when they said what they said? Powerful. Powerful. Most important I struggle not to make judgments. And, and part of the problem with psychotherapy without quotes, being part of psychiatry, is that the relationship can't start, particularly if there's insurance involved, without a diagnosis, which is calling somebody basically a bad name. It's telling them that their behavior, their thoughts, what they say is bad, it's wrong, it's morally deficient, and we dress up that judgment, that moral judgment, by pretending it's a medical issue. So this discussion then that I have with people, and over the years I became better and better at it, doing with my students, is what are the facts? How did you feel about the event? Describe the event as best you can. Um, over the years, children who have, I've worked with people who were abused or in my class where we would talk about, I mean, I had a, a topic in my developmental class about sexual abuse and people who would say, I can't talk about it. And my response was, look around you. Where are you? Are you about to be abused? Because that won't happen here. Are you going to be told as so often is the case, you imagined it, or you're responsible, you're a guilty, bad person because you made your father do this or you made this, your older brother do this. This allows an individual to reflect upon the facts of their life without judging themselves. It allows them to own the fear and the pain that surrounds the events 
in which this abuse, however, it, uh, it, it, what form, however form it took, and own it. And the ability to have a self that can own our own history so that we can make intelligent, clear choices about how to live our life and the people we want to form uh, our relationships with is indeed powerful. I could go on and on and on about psychotherapy, but I feel that that sort of gives a flavor. Um, I ask many questions. I never give advice. Well, that's not exactly true. Sometimes I do give advice. Uh, I recently saw a, a, uh, a woman of 60-some-odd uh, having a struggle with her 90-plus mother who uh, is dying. She has terrible illnesses, and she's going to die, and she's in terrible pain. Um, and I suggested by saying, if this were my mother, she'd be in hospice. She wouldn't be having any more surgeries, and nobody would be doing anything to save her life because it's very clear that when you have heart disease and cancer and anemia and a variety of other things uh, and your immune system is failing by the day, that the best thing I believe can be done for them is hospice where they are made comfortable with the appropriate use of pain medications and, and positive uh, counseling. And the individual uh, is allowed to die with dignity and not struggling uh, with, with somebody who is so anxious that they live that uh, they can no longer see the suffering of the person they love, but only their own. Now, identity. I did a show recently on identity, and I differentiated between the self and identity, and self is experience. It's the feeling of what happens. It's the uh, experience of being in the center of time and space. But identity is our name and our family name, our religion. Uh, I am. And uh, if you want, you could sit down and take a piece of paper and list 10, 12, maybe more words that you believe define you as a person. Uh, over the years, I should have collected and written a book about this. Many of the uh, identities are moral in nature. I am a good person. In very depressed people, it's I am no good. I am a loser. I'm a shit. I should never have been born. But with much of identity, it becomes important to people, particularly if they belong to a minority, even a majority, that is abused and feel that because of their religion, their color, their appearance, any aspect of themselves that becomes very important this way, that that part of the identity can be spoiled and become a source of enormous pain and becomes very important. And when the individual finds others who become political because they all share the same history and the same feeling 
of being neglected, abused, and victimized. That there's a victimization. They fight back, not merely as human beings, not individuals, but as a group sharing the identity which becomes the number one aspect of their focus. It's protecting the identity. And anybody of different identity who belongs to a different tribe, and let me add uh, that I listened recently to Sam Harris at samharris.com, and anybody who really wants to hear really wonderful, intelligent, uh, uh, democratically organized, factually based uh, conversations, where opinions are made but clearly defined as opinions, as editorial, listen to Sam Harris at samharris.com. And they were discussing identity politics in a wonderful discussion. He was discussing it with somebody whose name eludes me at the moment, an Englishman. And I said, gee, I, gotta, I was practicing that last two weeks ago on my show, uh, and I've got to talk about this. Uh, what they didn't say, and I truly believe, that we are evolved as uh, tribal animals. We can't survive without a tribal uh, uh, relationship. And so when we're attacked on some critical aspect of our identity based upon our race, our religion, I shouldn't say race, it's color. There is no race. Biology shows us over and over again there's no such thing as race we're all part of the same species and the difference between the yellow race the black race the white race and the red race are very few number of genes compared to the totality of the number of genes that define us as human beings um so that it's very easy for this for us to fall into an identity politic that's tribal, in which we despise and hate those individuals who we feel have done this to us, who have hurt us this way, and let it spread around to anybody whom we in our authoritarian and ideological position feel uh, are our enemy. And I'm watching as group after group in this country, and this includes students in the best of universities, hating the Nazis are practicing white identity. Antifas, anti-fascist group, are practicing black identity politics. And while we can understand white people who feel they've been left behind and hurt, and blacks who have clearly, after 400 years of enslavement and abuse, uh, 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 continue to try and struggle to belong in the American mainstream with, with marginal uh, and sometimes uh, less than marginal success, it still spoils everything. It leads to violence. It leads to hatred. Uh, one of the things that upset me tremendously was Charles Murray, who some years ago uh, wrote a book on IQ, 
and I'll discuss this for a couple of moments, uh, how it should be dealt with, in which he suggested that whites have a higher IQ uh, than blacks. He also added that Asians have a higher IQ than whites. Uh, but the, the real critical issue is that whites are innately smarter than blacks. When he tried to speak at one of the universities, a group of offended students, uh, many of them black, but many of them who sympathize with the identity politics of those students, many who are uh, feminist and uh, practice an identity politic about uh, their sexual identity, carried on, screamed, and rioted so that he couldn't speak. This, at a university, which is the end product, the evolutionary end product of a place in which ideas have to be heard and debated, not by throwing epithets and hurling curses at individuals about themselves, you're racist, you're sexist, you're, you're uh, uh, this or that, but dealing with the topic in a legitimately intellectual way. Were I to talk to Murray, I would ask them, first of all, show me the evidence that genetics are the only major uh, factor that affect IQ, because it's not so. And I could produce the evidence that shows it's a mixture of things, mixture of factors. Show me the evidence that the IQ test, the modern IQ test, the Stanford Binet or the Wexler Intelligence Scale uh, for adults or children, uh, show me that there's some kind of an X-ray that talks about what's innate. All these tests have information topics and if you're not raised in your society or you're raised in a part of your society in which you don't have access to the same amount of information as somebody else, your scores are lower. So that I would point this out. And then I would ask Murray, what were you trying to achieve by spending all that time and money to prove something? If you did prove it, what does it lead to? What's the purpose? And I won't call him a racist, even if I believe he is, that there's something destructive. Particularly, I'd like to know who funded the research and what do they want to do with it. But he would be allowed to speak. And I and many others who disagree with why he did it and what he did would be available to raise critical points, engage him in a debate about his topic, not take it anywhere else, avoid cursing, not incite violence, not incite hatred, and try to show that his conclusions are wrong and maybe even the motivation behind it tainted in some particular way. He had some point to make for someone, maybe himself, or maybe others who wanted him to do this kind of research 
And that would be the discussion. Not a riot in which a professor who had uh, supported Murray speaking was injured, a woman was hurt in that melee. So, identity is critical. But as I've said many times, our identity, whether it's wounded or not, must be placed in the larger context of our individual personality so that we own the identity that's been wounded. And at the same time, our individual, individuality is, relates to the larger issue of being a human being and being part and parcel of not only your family, not only your country, not only your religion, not only your race, but of the larger human family as it exists on this planet. Wow. I think I've said what I wanted to say. Uh, if anybody is there and would like to call in and have anything to say about the topic, uh, I'd be delighted. So I'm going to sit here a couple of minutes. It's uh, 7.30. It's, it's time for dessert. And uh, we had some company. So my wife who says, don't buy ice cream. You're going to eat it. It's not good for you. It gets you sick. It makes you fat. We bought ice cream. And we bought a lot of ice cream. And because they were coming, we even bought a Dutch apple pie. So I'm going to have a large piece of Dutch apple pie upon which I will heap some uh, peach ice cream and then some kind of a, uh, uh, a chocolate with nuts and, and uh, a caramel ice cream with some pieces of chocolate and nuts in it. Oh, can anything be better than that? At one point in my life, I would have said, yes, sex. But now it's pie and ice cream. So, ladies and gentlemen, Boys and girls of all ages, nobody is calling in tonight. I am going to uh, sit here for another minute or two, and I'm going to press the end episode button. And send this out. Again, I'll send it out on Twitter and Facebook and to the uh, family here at blogtalkradio.com. Okay, I hope I'm going to listen to part of this because for some reason my online phone will not connect. This is the second time it's happened. It will not connect to Blog Talk Radio, to the phone number I call in so I can do my show. So I'm doing it on my cell, and I'm doing it on the, uh, the little part of the cell, the cell phone, which we know as the speaker. So I'm not even talking directly into the phone, but into the speaker aspect of the phone. Okay. Nobody's calling in. I go now lonely because my wife is out tonight, and I make a pig of myself. So good night. <laughs>